Hello and welcome to TBT's podcast. I'm Dan Friel. On this edition, we'll hear from Chris Thomas, the GM and owner of Primetime Players, a team from North Carolina that Chris has owned and operated since 1991. The Primetime Players are one of the true surprises of TBT 2015, advancing to the round of 16 in Chicago and missing a quarterfinal berth against overseas elite by a single point. In addition to running the Primetime Players, Chris is also one of the founders of the East Coast Basketball League, which is now in its second year with 12 teams from the Carolinas and Virginia. Chris tells us about the state of minor league basketball in America and gives us some really good insight on why it's been hard for independent leagues to thrive. After Chris, we'll check in with TBT's Jesse Leeds to get a taste of what he's hearing about college alumni teams that could be entering TBT's Midwest region in 2016. Remember to subscribe to TBT's podcast on iTunes and leave us a rating if you like what you're hearing. Thanks. Hey, Chris. Yes, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Yourself? Great. So listen, I'm really glad to talk to you tonight. It's been a little while. Have you had time to reflect a little bit on the basketball tournament and your experience uh, this summer? Oh, man, I'm still burning up a little bit. You know, I'm still definitely have been able to reflect on, you know, how I wish we would have been able to get that one game to have that chance to try to get to that million dollars. Yeah, you guys, I think, were very much underrated, certainly by TBT and probably myself <laughs> coming into this event. And I remember you telling me that, you know, you were going to be the team that comes out of that that region, you were, you were pretty much close to being right. Oh yeah, I, I was. Um, when I saw when I saw where we were seated at and stuff like that, I mean, really, that I mean, it didn't bother me being seated like that. As soon as I saw that we were going to have a chance to play, probably the number one overseed overall, and I saw coming into the tournament how y'all hyped them up with all the videos. You know, it just fueled my guys to give them opportunity to come in there to try to prove themselves playing one of the best teams in the in the tournament and I thought we we really came out really good in that first half and I mean it was exciting to even go back and watch it and you know I've had so many people when I go to the wire or other leagues or wherever I show up at all these people are coming and congratulating us on such a great run we had and all that but to me I felt like you know we we could have done so much more too so you know that's why we're really looking forward to trying to come back again next year. So you've had folks in in North Carolina actually discuss the TBT tournament with you and and your experiences in it. Oh man, everywhere I've went, when we went, we played in the pro am, and as soon as I came home from the pro am, everybody at Johnson C Smith was you know telling us they were rooting for us, they couldn't wait for us to get to Chicago, and then we went to Chicago. So many people were messaging me and texting me while we you know while we were playing, after we were playing, and then when we got back home, we played. We play in a couple leagues in Charlotte. We play at the Dowd YMCA downtown, and then we play at Betty Ray, which is down off of uh, Freedom Drive. And we played in both of those leagues and all the other teams that we see there and a bunch of players, people that come and see the games, they're talking about, you know, Chris, you know, we really enjoyed watching y'all play, and it was a great, you know, I know it was a great experience for y'all, but, you know, watch out because next year we're going to be playing in it too. So you feel like you're going to have some competition, it sounds like, for next year trying to get in from North Carolina then, huh? Oh yeah, there'll be a bunch of them trying to get in there, but you know, a lot of them might be just talking though. But we'll see what they do. What's what was the experience like coming from a background that you have, uh, sort of in the American minor league basketball system? You said before, I think that your team had played close to five hundred games together, huh? Yeah, well, we we played we've played a lot of games. I mean, ever since uh, nineteen ninety eight, we've played at least a hundred games a year since nineteen ninety eight, every single year, and we've won. I think we've won a hundred games every single year except for maybe one year and that's just because we didn't play but maybe 106 or 107 games that one year when and we didn't but i mean and is it the we core, stay busy is it that core of guys that you have that you brought to tbt that have played together for that long oh well, the the core of guys that i brought to tbt every single one of those have have played with me since 2011 except for 
Chris Moore, he came in 2012, and Danny Sanders, this was uh, this was his first year with us, but he's always he's kind of been in our circuit up here playing in other leagues and stuff, and I'd had my eye on him for a little bit. And and this, this past spring we picked him up and let him play with us in the ECBL, and he ended up being a great fit for us, and, you know, he, and he really did good in Atlanta, and he played good for us in Chicago as well. But the rest of the guys, I mean, there's 10 guys that have been with me, and I know we've played it since 2011. I mean, we've played over 100 games every single year since 2011, and every single one of those guys have been with me since then. Can you kind of tell me a little bit about sort of when you're playing 100 games in the course of a year, it's got to be in a variety of different leagues and, and tournaments and events, huh? Oh, yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, we play like we play in our minor league every single year, which, you know, that starts up maybe in March, and that runs through June. And then when, as, soon as, we're, as soon as we're done with that, we always jump right into the uh, – this year was Anthony Morrow Summer Hoops Pro Am, and it, you know beforehand it was Jeff McGinnis's Pro Pro Am, and we play in that, and that probably gives us another you know fifteen or sixteen games there. And then during the season, during our off season, we're always playing like two two. We play two leagues at a time. Like right now, we're in our fall league. We play in Elite League, which is at the Dowd, which a bunch of former college and pro players play there some. And then we play in the A League Elite, which is over at the. Um, Betty Race Center, and over there we have a bunch of guys, and even the uh, minor league team that played down there, the Charlotte Elite, they play in that league with us, and then Queen City Express, which is another team, they play in some of our leagues there. So we have a bunch of the minor league teams that are in our area, you know, playing our recreational leagues over here too. And so when we're playing two in the winter, two in the fall, two in the spring, two in the summer, so I mean, we we stay really busy. What motivates your guys to keep playing that much basketball in the course of a year? I mean, you've got guys that have all played college ball and have all played at a variety of levels, but it doesn't look like there's a, a ton of overseas experience, you know, the traditional sort of non-NBA path. But what, what motivates your guys to keep playing? I don't know. I mean, I believe it's just, you know, the competition. You know, we all of my guys, like I have Terrell Smith, he played overseas, and then we have Chris Moore that played overseas. Brian Mobley's been overseas. You know, our guys have been there, but then, you know, now with the way things are overseas now, you can't really go out there and make a great living playing pro basketball overseas anymore. So if you can stay at home and still play 100-something games and have you a good job making forty dollars to $75,000 a year, you know, and if you're a good ball player and you fit in with our system, you know, I can keep you busy if you want to continue to keep playing basketball and, and have a good job and stay here. And that's basically what's happened with most of my guys. They've gotten good jobs and, and then they love to play basketball. And I mean, when you have a group of guys that love playing together and, and we, and we have been pretty successful, you know, doing that, that kind of helps, I believe too. But like Sean Barnett, he plays overseas and Donald Rutherford, he plays overseas too. Those are two of my guys that, you know, every year they play overseas. And then when they get home in March, they're usually active with us from anywhere from March till September every single year. What, give me the background on some of your guys. How did you get them together? How do you recruit them? What do you do to get the guys Man, on the team? Well, what happens, Dan, really, with, with it, it's just like I'll just see the guys, like with uh, Victor Street, which is one of our captains. I knew him since he was in high school when I used to play pickup basketball at the Y, and I saw him up there. And to me, I just felt like that he was one of these kind of guys that, you know, I could, could fit the mold of what I wanted. So we brought him in, and then I saw Terrell Smith. We were playing – we were playing in another league and playing against him. And then one of my players had recruited him when he moved to Charlotte and told me, Chris, why don't we give him a try? And he came and 
he filled in for us one night and I think he hit a three pointer at the buzzer to win the game. And after that, you know, he kind of stuck on, but it's pretty much a lot of these minor league teams in these areas, they'll do tryouts and they'll get 50 or 60 guys come out, charge $50 and do all this to try to get them out. And, you know, they raise a little bit of funds to help their team going and stuff. But with me, I just can't do that because I know that I don't want to have guys come try out for my team and then I know I'm not going to pick them up because with me, really, I'm, I've got to, you know, I've got to bring it. If I need a guy, I'll bring him in, let him fill in a couple of these, you know, in these recreational games or exhibition games that we play. I'll bring them in and let them do that and take a look at them. And they fit my system. Then we'll bring them on. And, you know, but my team, I don't just bring them in and make that decision myself. The players on my team make the decision of the players that make my team. What are you looking for? I mean, what, you know, what? Let's talk about first, like, what are you looking for in a player? And secondly, what is your system as you describe it? Uh, you just got to have the pieces that fit to what we're trying to do. Like with Chris Moore, for example, with Chris Moore, our first year in the uh, TRBL, Victor Street was all league. And, I mean, he was a great point guard, and he played maybe 42 minutes a game out of our 48 minutes. But then we were playing against Chris Moore, and we were seeing him in other leagues. And our team liked Chris, and, I mean, he was, I mean, he was, he was pretty much scoring pretty good against us. And then – we had talked about picking him up and Victor street even said, Hey, we got to go get this guy. And we went and brought him in. And then Victor street, you know, he ended up becoming his backup, you know, and, and, and let, you know, and Chris became the starter on our team. And, you know, it's really character wise, you know, I'm not just looking for the best player that can, Hey, I got to get this guy cause he's a superstar. Or this guy, I've got to get what fits the system of the way we play. I want to have, you know, the point guard, you know, that's going to handle the team. I want to have a shooting guard that's going to shoot the ball an athletic three, I need a banger. You know, I'm just – whatever fits the what you know, the needs that we have. And the guys that I have, every single one of them, you know, were guys that, you know, we went out as a team and kind of recruited and brought onto our team. Let's go back a little bit, Chris, if we can, to sort of your origins with basketball. I mean, this team's been around since 1991, and I'm kind of hoping you can walk me through how it started, why it started, you know, and why you've stuck with it so long. Mercy, I, Dan, what, what ended up happening, I'd met my wife, and uh, I'd met her in 1989, and when I met her, I'd moved to Rock Hill from Spartanburg, and then when I moved here, she was working a lot, and there really wasn't a whole lot to do here, so I mean, I always went to the Y, I played pickup at the Y all the time, and and I ended up just signing up for a rec league there and played on a team, and I mean, it was, I think we went 0-15, it was probably some of the worst basketball players I'd ever played with in my life, and I was like... <laughs> Man, I just get my own team and put something together. And then that's kind of how I guess it really kind of started. I started, you know, I saw a couple guys. And, of course, back then, you know, I picked up a lot of guys that didn't fit in. You know, I picked up a lot of guys with bad attitudes. But, you know, it was like a learning process when I first started doing that. And I did that for the first three or four years. And then I guess in about 95 is when um, I started expanding. And I basically kind of took an all-star team to Charlotte. You know, I had a couple guys off of this team, that team that was in our league, and we started doing that. And then from 95 till about 98, that's just what I did. I We played maybe 50 games a year or something back then. and But it was like a learning process with me just trying to find guys to, you know, to fit in. And then it got to the point to where I wanted to really win. So the best way for me to win is make sure I get guys that are all better than me to where I don't have to play. And once I started doing that, then, you know, it kind of changed things a lot too. And so did you, did you feel like the success kind of bred success where you actually were able to get guys that, that wanted to play with you and wanted to, you know, be a part of a winning basketball team? 
Yeah, I think so, but I think a lot of it just – it's not – I mean, we have been successful and we've been a winning team, but I think the biggest thing is is the character part, is that I bring in good character guys. And, I mean, it's not like we're just a team of, you know, you don't know who's going to be there each week or you don't know who's going to be there. I mean, still today, even today, you'll come to a game. If I've only got six guys that's going to be at like one of our rec games or something like that, I'm going to put my jersey on and play before I just go pick up somebody to come fill in and play with us. You know, I've just never been a guy that I can just go call everybody that's in my in my phone book to try to get somebody to come play with me. Either we're gonna we're gonna play with what we got or we're not gonna play at all. And and I've never forfeited a game in twenty six years and I'll keep I'll keep putting my jersey on until I can't walk on the floor anymore. You do seem to have a very tight knit group of guys. It was really funny. It was interesting and funny and I was really having a great time watching it. Uh, when you all advanced out of Atlanta to Chicago last year and the dancing and the laughing and the singing that was going on afterwards was really something to see. And I'm curious if that's something that was naturally there with the guys or do you have to work at that with them? No, it's naturally there. Believe me, Terrell Smith, he leads the pack with all that. And so he, I mean, he's, he's a character and, and pretty much all the guys follow him and he, he gets them going. And I mean, that's not, I mean, what you saw down there in Atlanta, we do that all the time. I mean, in our minor league games, it's the same thing after those games. And I mean, I mean, I know it's just, you know, we're so used to playing together. And I mean, it's not like, just like, you know, we'd said that we'd played all those games together. You know, it's not, you know, everybody's so familiar with each other. I mean, we, we do things together as a, as a team, you know, we've, we've traveled and played in tournaments out of state, you know, we play exhibition games against local colleges, you know, we play these minor league teams and, you know, and we travel out of town for those, just like when we came to Atlanta, you know, we do those same trips, you know, like 14 weeks, you know, during the spring every year. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's something, you know, camaraderie that, you know, our guys have that, I mean, it's fun. You know, it's not just basketball. You know, it's about, you know, us all being together and, you know, and spending time together as a team, too. Well, I did think it was something that you said earlier that a lot of these guys are playing for the love of the game. You know, a lot of your guys have day jobs, and this is something that they do because they want to remain competitive. They want to play basketball at a high level, uh, but they're clearly doing it because they love it and they have fun with it. I mean, is that is that something that you've noticed about them as well? Oh yeah, that's that's what I'm looking. That's one of the main things I'm looking for when, you know, when when I get a guy to come in to fill fill in with us, Dan, is that you know I want a guy that's going to come in, this you know that that loves it and you know is willing to sacrifice and do whatever he has because a lot of these guys that I play that are on our team, you know, on other teams they you know they might have been the main player in college. They were the number one player at their college, or when they, or like when they went overseas, they were the main guy on that team. But the thing is, now when they play with us, they have to sacrifice a little bit. But they're willing to sacrifice like that, you know, for the betterment of the team. And I mean, with me, it's not so much of me, you know, having to control the egos or coach these guys or anything like it. It's really not like that with with our guys. You know, we have. You know, we run this team together. It's not, I mean, I do the organizing. I put the guys together. I mean, I'll drive them around, wash uniforms, and, and and you know, I'll do the substitute and stuff like that. But we're all together out there. I mean, the players are rooting for each other. You know, they're coaching each other. You know, they're giving me advice. I'm giving them advice. I mean, we're all working together. And, I mean, that common camaraderie, I mean, you can't really just, I mean, it's just something that, you know, you have to, you know, you have to work on have, being together for so long. One of the things that, I was interested about you, Chris, is that you've taken a, a real leadership role in the North Carolina, South Carolina area when it comes to, you know, uh, minor league, semi-professional basketball. And I was hoping you can kind of discuss a little bit about, you know, what's going on 
with professional basketball outside of the NBA uh, in the United States as, as you see it? Well, I mean, minor league basketball, I mean, the biggest thing with me, Dan, is that I, you know, I didn't want to be a part of a minor league basketball league because through those years when I first started up from like 95, you know, even to the early 2000s and stuff, I always would schedule games with the Carolina Basketball League or the ABA teams. And it was just seemed like every time I'd schedule a game with somebody, you know, or the USBL, the game would get canceled. Or we, well, I know one time we showed up at the gym and the doors were locked and they weren't answering the phone. And it just got to where, you know, it was just frustrating. And, and, and that was, and that was common. And it's still common in some leagues where, you know, you'll have games that don't get played and stuff like that. And then I think it was uh, in 2010, uh, Patrick Dupree, which was the owner of the Fayetteville crossovers at the time, I was running tournaments and he came and played in one of our tournaments and, and I met him and, and talked to him. And then they ended up joining a league called the Continental Basketball League. And that league kind of fell off the wayside. But then when it fell off the wayside, he contacted me and he had two other owners, which was the Wilmington Sea Dogs, which is a team that's been in the PBL, the ABA. They've been in a ton of other leagues, but they've been around for a long time. And then Mark Janis, who was with the uh, Kerry Invasion, those two guys in Dupree were looking at forming forming the TR Tobacco Road Basketball League, and they had contacted me about my interest of maybe coming in as a travel team. And I thought about it for a little bit, but then after talking to Mark and talking to Pete Brownell after I talked to them, I was like, let me see if I can find a gym. And then I found a gym, and then I started working with those guys, and, and we started the TRBL with like seven teams the first year. And then the second year, I think we went up to like 14. And then we played the third year. And I can't really remember how many teams we had in that. But then after that, they changed the format of the league. And they went to a like a full league where they start off in the end of October, early November, and they play all the way to June. And I don't want to tie my guys up in a league to where that's all we're doing. Because, I mean, we play in – you know, we want to play in our pro league and then we want to continue to do everything else. I don't want to just take away, you know, our whole – you know, for 12 or 14 games over – six months. So that's when I, I decided to go ahead and form the East Coast Basketball League. And I think six teams left with us when we left the TRBL and we created that. And now we're up to we're up to 12 teams. But one of the main reasons I did it though, Dan, is that I wanted to make sure, I mean, biggest thing with minor league, I just want, I mean, with my league that I'm a part of, I want there to be structure. And so when I left to come to this league, you know, I wanted to get a bunch of owners that wanted to, you know, have the same views that I do. And try to have a structured league to where, you know, we're all on the same page instead of, and we're all communicating, you know, and then I mean, when you communicate and we all work together, it's an opportunity to, you know, have something really good. And over the last two years, I mean, we've really, you know, we've really grown as a league this year coming into our second year. I mean, we've already signed two media deals to stream games for this coming up year again. And, and we've got two brand new teams, one in Virginia, and then we brought one from the TRBL. The uh, Winston-Salem Certified came over, and then we have a new expansion team in uh, Anson County, which is in Wadesboro, North Carolina, that we added. Well, what are you looking for when you're trying to adopt a team into your league? What, what are the you know what what are the criteria? Is it quality of the players, organization behind it? What are, what are you ideally trying to find? Well, basically, the first the first thing I wanted, you know, I, a lot of the teams that you know come to us or talk to us are are, are teams that I know because like I've been here for twenty six years and a lot, and even we've even talked to a couple teams from the TBT that you know we've talked about the possibility of them eventually joining the ECBL. We talked to the Dirty South for a little bit, the team that knocked us out, and then I talked to Queen City, which is the other team out of Atlanta. 
and I don't think they're ready to come in in 2016, but it's a possibility that those are two teams that might be coming in because I spoke to I've spoke to both those owners a couple of times, and both of them are very interested. But the biggest thing is with us, though, is that you know I want to make sure that we're not just bringing in somebody just to be adding them, just to be adding a team. So they'll what I'll end up doing is somebody will apply or you know email me, and then I'll send them you know exactly what our guidelines are and our criteria is for our link for our league and then if that sounds like something that they like then I'll call them I'll talk to them I'll do a one-on-one with them and and kind of see if you know where they're at and if there's somebody that could be you know could be positive positive for our league and then if they are then after that they'll do a call with we have our basketball you know player uh, basketball operations manager which is Kadiri Richards you know they'll talk to him and then Lee Williams which is our which is our commissioner of our league and they'll talk to him and then after they talk to him we'll three decide hey this guy this guy sounds like he has going on or this lady sounds like she's you know they, they might be you know a good fit for our league then what we do they do one-on-one conversations with every single owner in our league then after they talk to all the owners in the league i'll talk to the owners and then i'll talk back to that the team that's applying and try to see where we're at right there and if it's sound if we're in a good place right there then what we can do we usually go for a vote and then we'll do a league-wide vote and decide if um they're, you know, if we want to put them in the league or if they're close, but, you know, we still have a little bit of questions, what we'll do, we'll bring them in and we'll let them come in and do a presentation in front of all the owners of the team. And then we'll take a vote then. That's how we, that's how we've done it for the last two years. And you feel like the results so far have been good. I mean, the second year you're already up to, I think you said 12 teams, right? Yeah, we're up to 12. Now we did, you know, we did have a couple problems last year. We had, we had one team that we ended up having to release from our league, but we, it wasn't that we just threw them out of the league or I, one person just made that decision. You know, we had a couple, you know, they had a couple problems with conforming to our league rules. And then as a group, we, we had a conference call and we just voted them out. And then we just moved the, uh, moved the schedule around and finished the season out, which ended up being better for our league in the long run. And, you know, and, and that's something that I like, you know, that we're not willing to brush anything under the rug. We would rather go ahead. If we're having a problem with something, go ahead and fix it and just move on and, and, and make sure that, you know, we're not, we're not trying to hide anything. We're not trying to, you know, act like this didn't happen or that didn't happen. You know, we'll, you know, we've gone on our sports central, you know, I've, I've, I've had to answer questions on there of why this team wasn't in the league anymore or anything like that. But there's no use having somebody a part of your league if they're not going to do things the right way. And, you know, last year we had, we had two forfeited games out of that, and that was it. That was the only two games we missed, and that was because we had released that one team from the league. Why do you think it is, um, Chris, that that minor league basketball in you know over the last maybe twenty five to thirty years has not sort of recovered from the decline of the CBA, the original CBA? Yeah, I, I, Dan, I think a lot of it has to do because we still have leagues. There are still leagues out there that will create a league and they'll bring in teams and have 25 teams and they'll advertise them all the way up till the season. Then when the season starts, these websites aren't working. There's no way to contact them. There's no roster. The games aren't getting played. And I mean, it, and that's, it is happening in so many leagues. And I mean, and, and, and it makes it hard for, for a lot of the other leagues to get, you know, people to really take them seriously when they're saying, Hey, well, what happened to this team, that team, that team, even though they're not in your league, they know all these teams from your area that never played a game. Cause I mean, I, you know, I hate to, you know, say, you know, single out any leagues, but I know with the ABA, it's like every year there's so many different teams that, you know, that I'll see that they're going to be playing, but then they don't play. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, and I mean, and that's just bad. And then, you know, you have other leagues where they don't finish the season. You'll have other leagues where, you know, they'll cancel the playoffs or, you know, it's just things like that. And that's just what I was saying that one of the reasons I got into it is because I felt like if I could get into it and with a group of teams that, you know, that started it with me and did it with me, you know, they, they're all about doing it structure. And I want to try to give a template, you know, how to, how to do things right. And, you know, and I learned a lot of that when I was in the TRBL working with Mark, Mark Pete and Dupree. I, I learned some of that with those guys. So then when I left and started doing this myself, you know, I put guys with me, guys and ladies with me that, you know, want to work together to try to create something that, you know, when you want to come watch a game, you know, there's going to be a game or you're going to, there's going to be quality there. And, and I mean, our games in our league last year, I mean, there were some quality games and I mean, there's some quality players and I mean, our games are an event. When you come to our game, we have a halftime show, we have an announcer, we have a DJ, you know, we're not going to just throw the basketball up and play like you're in a rec league game. When you come to our game, our plan is to be just like an NBA game, but in a smaller venue. It's interesting because, you know, I think that there is a perception that the quality of play amongst minor league teams is not, you know, up to snuff. And what was kind of apparent, especially in the South region in TBT last year, was you all were a one point loser to Dirty South, who in turn lost to Overseas Elite by five. And then Overseas Elite, you know, went on to win the whole thing. I mean, you guys were within a whisker of, of having that game and that chance against the ultimate champion. Man, and I mean, and we, I mean, I honestly, I feel like we played one of our worst games in Chicago. I mean, we, we didn't play our best up there. And I mean, but it, it, it was like an emotional roller coaster. I mean, it, it was, you know, we, we got back into it. We had control of the game and we, we let that game slip away from us in the last 30 seconds. Nothing, nothing from Dirty South because they, they were a really good team. But even if you, when we, I went back and listened to the announcer, you know, they had the guest over there. I can't remember his name that he was, over there talking to and he was talking about that you know that you know we were a better team we should pull it out and I'm just listening to that and then I just looked at the game again where there were just maybe one play you know we could have just made and we you know we should have won but you know that's why we play the game so you all it sounds like we'll be back in 2016 oh man there's no doubt we're coming back what was the experience like I mean, was it something that you had seen before experienced anything like that before as a as a unit um not, 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 not on that, not on that capacity being, I mean, being able to, I mean, go to Atlanta and all that. I mean, now that was great. But then, you know, after the game, you know, y'all are rushing us back there to, to get our, you know, get our itinerary ready to go to Chicago. And, you know, and all the guys were all hyped up for that. You know, we were singing and dancing and climbing the ladder and, and all that. But then, you know, it, you know, it really didn't hit home until, you know, we're all getting ready to go to Chicago. We're all getting in the airport. We're all on different flights. We're all meeting up there. And then I'm looking at all these guys on Snapchat, on Facebook, you know, on Instagram, you know, everybody posting everything up there. And then when we got up there, I mean, it was just such a great time. And then for what TBT did for the teams, the 17 teams that got up there, I mean, it was incredible. And then the first game with the uh, Notre Dame alumni versus the team they played. I mean, that was an incredible game, just the way to, to kick it off. It really gave some great legitimacy to the TBT, I thought. So, I mean, as a fan, it sounds like you also had a good time watching some of these teams compete. And I assume that there were guys up there that you all had, had seen on TV and, and stuff of that nature, too. Oh, yeah, there were a bunch of them that we'd seen on TV, and there's a bunch of them that we know, too. I mean, there were guys on Overseas Elite that we knew, and, you know, Barnett knows a bunch of the guys from, you know, his rounds. And, I mean, I saw guys that I haven't seen in years 
you know, at the motel that played on this team or that team. And down in Atlanta, I saw guys I haven't seen for years. And, you know, I mean, it was great seeing a bunch of guys that you, and then you see guys that you might have remembered. Hey, didn't that guy play for Clayton State? Or, hey, didn't that guy play for Wingate? I mean, you see, you see so many guys, and then you want to grab the, you know, you want to grab the book to look in there to see who these guys were. Besides yourself, was there, were there any teams that you saw in Chicago that you were surprised didn't make it to New York? Offhand, man, I, I'm a, I'm a, up there. The teams that we saw up there, there especially Notre Dame. I thought, I thought, uh, I thought they could get through, and then the Bayheim's Army. But really, every single team I saw up there, all of them, all of them should have been able to make it there. I mean, I, I didn't feel like not one team was up there. Those seventeen teams that I saw, there wasn't one up there that I thought, man, they're not got, they don't have a chance. I thought every single team I saw up there had a legitimate chance to be in New York City. Uh, not to, not that you want to give away any secrets or anything, uh, Chris, but if you were to give advice to somebody that is applying for TBT in 2016 uh, about what to do, what to expect, you know, how to get in, what would you say? It's a, it takes a lot of hard work, and then you really, I mean, you can't just do it by yourself. I mean, I've, I know so many teams that try to get in, you can't do it yourself. You've got to have a team that's willing to work to get the fans, to get them signed up, to get your players signed up, to get them out there, to make them aware of what's going on, because it is definitely something you don't want to miss. The first year, you know, I didn't really know a lot about it. I know the two teams local to me had applied and I didn't know a whole bunch about it. But then after I watched it and stuff, and then I was started watching the videos leading up, I was like, man, there's no way. And that's when I called you and I'm like, man, I got to try to see what I got to do to try to get into this thing. And then, I mean, my guys, those last days when we were trying to get those buys, I mean, I had my guys calling me, I'm sitting in the bathroom at work you know, typing them in and, and contacting them, telling them what to do. I mean, I was probably in the bathroom for four hours trying to get everything put together before lunchtime to make sure we could try to get that last spot. And then fortunately we did, but then I didn't know I was going to be playing the number one seed after the first game, you know, the first game, but it was all okay. Your boss wasn't asking you what you were doing in the bathroom for four hours or were you just trying to play it off like it was? Oh man, I went from one bathroom to another. Now I was all over the place. We got about four of them in there. So. I was I was all over the place. That's great. And you actually had so it sounds like you had a lot of help from your players getting the votes that you needed to get in order to get in. Oh yeah, I know Thomas Faff, our our big guy, our center. I think he got like fifty votes just that last day. I mean, they were coming through like crazy. I mean, they they were asking me, you know, what the email was, what I got to do, this and that. And I mean, I was sending them all the information. I mean, I was, I mean, he was really on him and Terrell Smith. I mean, everybody on our team, I know they all were getting at least 20, 25 people signed up. And what I liked is that, you know, it wasn't something that, I mean, you could just sign up and do through an email. You have to really go sign up and really get these real, I mean, real emails, real people to sign up to get them on there. So, I mean, it's not easy. That's you great. Can't just get on there. I hear a lot of people complain about that. I'm, I'm, why do you, why do you think that's good? I'm interested to hear you, your, your thoughts on that. I think it's good because it keep it, it it makes it real. If you're going to go and and get all these fake emails and this and that to get in there to try to get in there, you're taking away from teams that are really working hard to try to be a part of something that's really great. Yeah, and there were a couple teams that had their votes uh, corrected. We'll say that because of some email <laughs> situations, but yeah, you know, I know I've heard about that. Stuff. Pretty good at catching it, Chris. Listen, I really appreciate your time. Uh, when the uh, site ramps back up in the spring, let's be sure to touch base then too. Hey, we're going to touch base before then because, you know, I'm going to stay on you anyway to see what's going on. <laughs> Sounds great, Chris. Thanks a lot. Hey, I appreciate it, Dan.
Jesse. Hey, how are you? Good. What are you texting? Yeah, I'm texting Mahar, trying to get the inside info right now. Oh, AJ Mahar. AJ Mahar. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the Midwest. Last time we talked about the South. So this time I want to kind of go through some of the college teams that you've been in touch with or that you've heard things about. So we had a really good turnout actually from college teams last year. There was a team from St. Louis. Oh, awesome. Uh, which was awesome. They had some great, great fans come up for that game in Chicago. Oh, that was great. Uh, Notre Dame, yeah. obviously the winners in 2014, the fighting alumni. Uh, they came back with some power, huh? Hansborough. I mean, and- that was a loaded team. The fact that they lost in overtime to you know the D League champions of mm-hmm. 2013, I think that was when the Ants alumni won. Yep. I think that says yeah. a lot about you know how good that team was and and how good the caliber play was too. I mean, how good did Ben Hansborough look? I mean, he looked like a pro among pros. You know, yeah. he was just. Although Jesse, didn't I read that he he just took a job coaching? Actually, he did. Where was that? Um, was it like Western Kentucky, maybe. I think so. I think he's the GA at uh, or assistant coach at Western Kentucky. So I know he was talking about that during some interviews uh, at TBT on site as well about getting into coaching. So he seems like a guy that'll stay in shape and probably come back and play. Oh, I, I would think so, a hundred percent. What about um, any other schools, Jesse? Have you been in conversations? Because I know last year Ohio State almost jumped in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michigan State almost jumped in. You've been in touch with the guys behind those teams at all? Yeah, it, it sounds pretty likely that they're gonna they're gonna jump back in. Um, I know they obviously knew about it and watched all the championship games. So uh, getting some texting calls during those during those games and you know reiterating that they want to jump in and, and get this thing to going. So uh, it's looking like Ohio State and Michigan State are gonna jump in and kind of rival some of these Notre Dame and. Uh, this Wisconsin hybrid team that we had last year. Notre Dame is really a lightning rod in a lot of ways, like good and bad. You know what I mean? Like it seems yep. like they just draw a lot of attention, and I'm sure everybody thinks that they can beat them. They have a, Notre Dame like lives off of that. It seems like you know it, they do, and they always have a target on their back. And you look at you know their run last year in the NCAA tournament um, with Jaron Grant, who's on the Knicks now, and and some of those other guys. Um, it, it's just incredible, you know, how much they're loved and hated throughout the country. I thought that was really cool that Zach August and um. Grant actually came to the game. Yeah, that, that was a nice Thursday one. night game, right? That was a Thursday night. And so then when they, uh, when they had the, no, it wasn't exactly a buzzer beater, but like the last second layup by yeah. Atkins. Yeah. And then they stormed the court and Bray was going crazy on the side. Was, that, was, that was great. I mean, it's great to see these guys get back together and form these alumni teams and then have the support of, you know, the guys in the NBA now that can come and, and watch them play. So it's a great feeling. Michigan State, I'm looking through like a, a listing I found of, Almost everybody that plays professional basketball. Yeah. They've got some really good players. Like Shannon Brown, I know last year was recovering from injury. He was kind of rumored to be interested. Sure. You got Drew Namick, mm-hmm. Darrell Summers. Drew Neitzel, too. We were talking to Drew Neitzel a little bit last year. Um, and, you know, he was going to be a cornerstone of their team. So that would be great to see him back on the court. It'd be interesting Jason, to see Jason if you Richardson. get a guy to maybe come out of retirement, too, like a Jason Richardson, maybe. Oh. Love to see Jay Rich back on the court. I've got to that think those be... guys can still play too, right? Oh, definitely, and, and definitely at a high level as well. I mean that 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 would be ideal for their you know alumni team if they can get that off the ground. But do you think you think something's going to happen with that team? I think so. I think what? Michigan State is looking looking promising. What's the story with the Buckeyes? The Buckeyes. There were some rumors last year that Greg Oden was involved in some capacity of uh, entering a team. Um, you look at a guy like Will He's Sheehy. In China, I think this year too, right? Yeah, I think so too. Um, I mean, these guys should be primed for a run with all their alumni that they have, you know, playing overseas and, and playing at a high level. Um, Ohio State could be a team to be reckoned with. Now, this isn't like strictly an alumni team, but you were telling me a little earlier that there's some rumblings of like a really unique Indiana situation. Yeah, um, if you remember, 
Will Sheehy, Jordan Holes, and Christian Wofford all played um, last year on Armored Athlete. It looks like there's some rumblings of an all-Indiana team uh, with a bunch of Indiana guys, Bowler, and even Indiana State. So that could be a really interesting team to watch going into 2016. It'd be so sweet. Get Bobby Plump to be like the team oh, mascot awesome. or something. Be awesome. People would love that. What about um, what about any Big Twelve? Kansas. Yeah, Kansas had a over the last few years. If you remember, Kansas has had a really strong showing between you know Josh Shelby, Tyshawn Taylor, Mario Little, Russell Robinson, um, and even in 2014, Thomas Robinson and the Morris Twins came to watch. So Kansas has had a huge involvement in TBT the last two years. Now we just have to get all those guys on the same page and you know get a team together. Um, Brady Morningstar tried to enter a team last year as well at the last minute, um, but hopefully they'll have some more time this year and they can get it more organized. Yeah, he was that actually be, signed up too, I think. He was. He was on the site. So if we can get those guys you know, all back on, on one team, I think that would be a, a really, really interesting team. It was a, there's a name here, Jesse, that I remember tweeting about TBT, I think at one point, named Ali Farouk Manesh from Northern Ali. Iowa. What's the story with him? <laughs> the MVC uh, team could potentially happen with uh, Wichita State in Northern Iowa. Um, combination. The Wichita State team, I know, you know, could easily replicate the success that Dunk City um, and uh, Mercer had last year in terms of fan popularity. So if we can get Ali to to get this Northern Iowa team going, I think uh, I think we'd have some success. Jesse, on that situation where you have a team like these two alumni teams that combine, like Florida Gulf Coast and Mercer did last year, sure. is there a challenge to get them to actually like each other? I mean, I, Northern Iowa and Wichita State. They've had some battles, you know. Yeah, yeah, and that was that was something interesting that um, Mercer and Dunk City were able to talk about last year, and you know, pre and post interviews, the fact that they had to put their differences aside, and you know, they're actually friends off the court, which is interesting because you know, the organizers and the media don't see that. All we see is the rivals on the court and the bloody battles that they have. But um, the fact that these guys are actually friends off the court makes it even better. Were they friend in that situation last year? Were they friends before? They were. They knew each other. A few of them actually had played on the same team overseas. Um, they played in all star games together, so they knew each other really well and knew going into it that you know it wouldn't be a problem playing together. That's great. All right, Jesse. So that's the Midwest. Next time we talk, let's touch base on what at least last year was the biggest region for TPT, the Northeast. Okay. Oh, great. All right. Talk to you later.